Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Look at this shooter time just coming out hot. Of course, of all the shows we start five minutes late, it's the one where shooter time sends us a $25 tip. What are you going to do with your 1250, Brian? Um, I don't know. You know I'm what we should do? We should, we should enter uh, at the end of the show. We'll enter a Millie maker uh, lineup together here on, on shooter. I could, uh, I could put it with the pile. What's the pile? It's the pile of money. <laughs> yeah where you, you just scrooge mcduck into it every night thanks shooter what's that all about he's just cool shooter is cool i haven't seen shooter around uh much lately but he's back with a vengeance hope you're doing well shooter um wow just andrew just coming in hot brick do you think blender calling everyone stupid is gto for his touting career i answered that in chat actually uh, what, let me it's see. The next one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> of course it is. It's good for his brand. I what I was. I'm still uh, uh, still upset though when I did his show for him last year, and I did a heightened version of Blender Stick, and then everyone was really mad when I did it. So they they only like Blender's audience only likes it when he calls them idiots, not when someone else acting like Blender calls them idiots. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I mean, if you go into a stream called uh, "Was It Stupid Saturday?" or yeah, what do you expect? I it, I, I wonder too. I, I need to ask Blender. I'm curious what his comment sections are like now that he moved it to Saturday afternoon. I bet it's like a little bit more tame. I bet I bet he got some more insane stuff on Saturday evenings. Looks like my channel's having some issues. I should. I believe I have it. It's not you. You have it going. It just says YouTube is not receiving enough uh, video to maintain smooth streaming. Maybe maybe your channel has finally been deplatformed. <laughs> <laughs> they probably could have deplatformed me on a few things. Yeah, because you talk too much about dupes. Exactly, yeah. Well, if that was true, Peter, you you would have been banned months ago. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, you know it's funny because now I've been doing the uh, the own the moment the owners club uh, NFT DFS game, and uh, I found myself talking about dupes with that format because you know the whole pool basically again similarly has you know available cards, and you could, there's only five spots: quarterback, running back, wide receiver tight end defense and 
my my thesis is that dupes are a real issue that you need to avoid, especially when everyone just wants to play the best plays each week. It's like, oh, I can play Chiefs quarterback, Chiefs wide receiver, and I can play Carolina running back. And so I, I've been thinking through strategy, and I found myself mentioning dupes a lot in that context. I still haven't checked that out yet. Yeah, I mean, especially when they're not thinking about it at all, you, it's probably probably a big edge. What's like first place get you? So, uh, first place, so they do have pretty flat payout structures, but first place is $2,000 and a seat to their live final in Miami uh, at the end of the year. Hmm. Uh, yep, I don't know why I told you. I don't want you in there playing. Oh. <laughs> it's busy anyways. Yeah, it's uh, well that that's what's kind of fun about it is it's um there's enough strategy element to it but it's also pretty low maintenance. You know, I spend, you know, 20 30 minutes uh on Sunday kind of messing around with my lineup combos, but that was another thing too. I was like the temptation is like, oh, I have Rams defense. You know, they're they're one of the best defenses. I'll put this in my, you know, whatever I perceive as my best lineup, but it's like no, everyone else is going to be doing that as well. I think living in that kind of like mid to upper tier, but not like the elite tier, and then still focusing on correlation is is probably the way to do it. Yeah, yeah, probably. It depends on the amount of opponents and stuff. Yeah, and I've I've been thinking about it too. I've been doing. Um, I don't know if you've seen this format, but Underdog has these. They call them like the Royal Rumbles or whatever, and they're like six round drafts of the entire player pool available for Sunday. And, you know, people get anchored to ADP and there's positional requirements. Um, and if you can just go slightly off the board past, you know, there's how many people, five people, six rounds. So it's 60 players like because those, you know, 50 to 70th in ADP, those guys are going to get drafted almost all the time. But if you just push out a little bit more, I basically always try to get a guy like outside the top 90 ADP with my last pick. Yeah, I mean, that seems like ADP would make no sense for a any given Sunday. Right. But And that's what I think where the edge is, is just because people still want the comfort of the, like, ADP telling you this is an okay pick. Even though, like, your correlation and, and like, I'm, I was taking DJ Moore last week. His ADP wasn't even getting him drafted. I mean, he's a, you know, top 15 wide receiver in the league. There's no reason that should be happening. Yeah, it's it is honestly hard not to take that ADP into account when it's looking you right in the face. Yeah, yeah, and I I do think over you know the the full you know eighteen round drafts I think there's you know probably way better arguments to being more anchored to ADP, but in this like a five man you know six round thing I think it, it gets a, a lot easier to uh to get creative there. So it's a so it's a snake draft six play five four opponents. Six players on your team, six rounds. Yeah, and so it's max one quarterback, max. What's that one. take like fifteen minutes? Yeah, exactly. Maybe even a little quicker. Yeah. Um. Are, are your wheels already turning? Mm. Okay. <laughs> I uh, I would say I like I have just my formula down for how I play them, which is I get some kind of stack with a bring back. Ideally, I get a secondary correlation um, with, you know, a running back tight end, wide receiver tight end. And then I try to get a player I don't think most of the field is drafting with my last pick. And I just run that 
on auto, you know, pilot basically when I draft them. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so those are fun. Um, let's see. We did get some questions in the chat tonight that we can get to, but how was your uh, week two DFS week? Not good at all. No. I got smoked. You- got smoked like three days in a row. Really? Yeah, Monday night, baseball. Sunday was brutal. Oh, and I was considering golf, too. Golf I got. I had Rom. I kept Rom in the lineup. He got – you probably weren't paying attention, but he was uh, he was questionable up until tea time. And no PGA source or beat reporter reported whether he was even at the facility or not. Yeah, that is uh, – I, I, I think I saw a bunch of tweets. I assume people were pretty tilted. Yeah, I tweeted about it. I said, okay. I said, like, well, I didn't. I said, if you want, if you want to get a job in DFS or sports betting or something, like become like an independent journalist, right? Like, I'm sure you could have called somehow, called the facility and talked to someone, like, hey, do you see Rom there? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, but like, people will pay for that information. Well, that's what Levitan always says. He always is like, if I had an unlimited budget, he would want to hire, you know, individual fantasy beat reporters for each team, you know, because still, even though these guys kind of know that their bread is getting buttered from the gambling and fantasy audience, they still aren't fully catering their reporting to the exact stuff that fantasy people want. No, not at all. And yeah, the, the, the guy who got, I even made fun of him too on Twitter, uh, the football guys beat reporter who called the Philadelphia police department. Oh yeah. 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 Like I would hire him. Hell man. If he's doing that due diligence, I'm sure you could get him to call the, uh, the Napa Valley golf course and, uh, figure out if Rom's actually there. Yeah. That's, uh, (laughs) it is crazy now how just, with how much information and how everything's documented that some of this stuff can still slip through the cracks. Like it was week one where we had two crazy inactives with Trey Sermon and uh, Zach Moss that just no one, like not an inkling anywhere that this was going to happen. Schefter not even on it with the overnight bombs, just pretty crazy stuff. I think it has to be uh, independent too. Cause like I was thinking about this when I was younger growing up in the steroid era of baseball. And then as I got older, you know, and all, all the, the the congressional hearings and all this. And it's like, you know, thinking back as an adult, it's like, oh, none of these, none of these beat reporters knew that steroid use was rampant, right? Like none of the coaches, none of the owners, none of the GMs. <laughs> it was all just one big secret that only Jose Canseco did it. And then he got a couple guys, you know, he, 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 uh, he convinced them, Raphael Palmero and Mark McGuire to do it. But, you know, like, why would the B reporters know that this was rampant? It's like, I guarantee they all fucking knew. They all fucking knew. Or at least it's like, like, I've never seen him do heroin, like in a rock and roll beat reporter, but I'm pretty sure he's on heroin. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. it's like, you, you, you guys all fucking knew. And then, but then, they, you know, nothing ever happens to them and they just keep being the beat reporters now. You know, it's like, fuck you guys. So, like, anyways, that's my point is, like, for the information that we want, like, they got to be independent. Because, okay, you're not going to get the um, the Woj bombs. Like, you're not going to be everyone's best friend. No. But I don't really give a shit. You know what I mean? Like, that 
to know that, you know, Chris Paul signed a deal, you know, 10 seconds before everyone else knows it. Like there's no, there's no bearing on my gambling career. It kind of did when he released like picks before the draft and you can bet the live draft. But like, besides that, none of that stuff really matters. So you're going to burn bridges, but you're going to find out if Ram is throwing up in the bathroom, you know, if he's sick and he can't play. Like, you know what I mean? He's going to be pissed off that you released that he was throwing up, but. Well, but is it, it's, I think it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because how they start to get their access in those inside reports is buddying up and having really good relationships with those guys where if they're just this true outlaw independent journalist, they're probably not getting near as much access. I don't know. I don't know because yeah, maybe. Maybe you have to play the game to get inside the, the velvet ropes a little bit. Yeah. But like what access, what are these, these access beat reporters, what are they giving us that we could, you know, that's actionable gambling information, like starting lineups, like that's just going to come out anyways. Like mm-hmm. they don't really yeah. give us anything anyways. So like, and, and, the, and, and they're, they have to protect their relationship. And it's a big cabal, you know what I mean? Like they work for Comcast Sportsnet, and Comcast Sportsnet has a contract with the Pistons. And you're the beat reporter there, and you you kind of work for everyone. And you don't want to piss off the the players because you need them to do the post game interview. So it's like you you can't you can't really give us any good actionable stuff. And like I don't know from what I've like read, like the sports betting guys, like the. Billy Walters and stuff like that is um, they're talking to like clubhouse managers and you know what I mean? They're or ticket holders, ex girlfriends, shit like that. Like um, you know, you're, it's like TMZ more than Hollywood reporter. You know what I'm saying? So like, I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe you you play the game as long as you can to get inside the velvet rope, but like you could, you could call the Philadelphia police department. You could call, you could call the clubhouse. You could, you know, go into the pro shop, whatever, without being uh, employed by the PGA. Right. Yeah. It's, it's funny too, because I think, like you said, there is different type of information. Some require probably a little bit more um, access. Like you said, like sometimes it's, Maybe a coach has like leaked the game plan a little bit. He has which running back he wants to get more carries this week. Or there is the stuff like, hey, you just observed that Keenan Allen's hamstring looks incredibly ginger as you saw him walking through the tunnel and he was basically limping. And it was, you know, it's been a closed off practice and no one else saw that. Like where your doggedness could maybe reward you in some cases and in others, uh, you might need more access. Yeah. I mean, and like if you say, the guy's more hurt than he really is. It could hurt his contract. Like, hey, man, I gotta, I'm got i in my contract year. Like, I don't want him to know about this knee injury, you know, that type of shit where the, the you know, the, the, you know, assistant to the team doctor or something like that's like, no, this guy's not going to play Sunday. Or if he plays, he's going to be limited. Like, I, I'm surprised he's even playing, you know what I mean? Like, and then the coaches are going to just do coach speak during the press conference about the injuries they're gonna lie and mislead to try to trick the other coaches and stuff so yeah i think you can get a, i think you can and, and by the way this is just like off the top of my head i'm not a journalist i don't know any i'm not you know 
experienced any of this, but someone who's creative and actually has maybe some journalist background, or I don't think you even need it, but if you did go to school for it, they could probably come up with a whole bunch of other ways to get find sources and get good information. And then you charge 10 bucks a month and you'll, you'll easily get, if you're good, easily get, you know, a yearly salary out of that. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Yeah. I think there's definitely room for that. And it's also, I mean, in general journalism, uh, like that is a, is not a very glamorous job right now. The pay isn't great. It requires kind of insane hours and dedication. You do see some guy like um, Nick Underhill. Uh, I believe he used to cover the Saints for one of their big, you know, publications there. And then he went out on his own and started his own Saints site. I think he monet. I don't even think he's doing Patreon. I think he has his own subscription service. But because he had a big enough following and he was kind of the voice of record for the Saints, I think it's been successful. So I think. And then he's clearly has good sources and stuff like that. But I think it's tough too. like the athletic kind of tried that, right. Where they kind of had a fantasy spin and they, they hired all these reporters, but it's just like from a financial standpoint, I don't know how viable it is. Um, I guess I, fantasy Twitter, be- uh, are they, are they uh, kind of ponying up for this service? Like a Dow that we all pay for together. Yeah, I, I think I think gambling and, and fantasy Twitter, you could get if you were good enough, if you were providing good information, because come on, like it's not worth, I don't know, even 50 bucks a month. If this guy gives you one good, he knows Rom isn't going to play like that would be well worth it for anyone who plays PGA golf regularly. Right. And that's for just sure. one thing, you know, and and. um I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but also, too, it's like. Like maybe the person just wants to get into gambling and sports and DFS and have a following and he enjoys that or she. So like maybe they're not going to make 200 grand a year, but maybe they like 30 and that's good enough and they could do it, you know, part-time or they have a job that gives them the flexibility. Who fuck knows? I don't know. I would like it. Yeah. You know, Andrew says here, awful industry to work in. Everyone's replaceable. I was a local market radio host. It's all clickbait. I think that's the other thing, right? Where, the fantasy players and the gamblers, you would need to build up trust with them to where you wouldn't actually have to employ like uh total clickbait, right? Because no one wants to get, you know, bamboozled, but on the other hand, you need those clicks or whatever to kind of support it. So you would need a full on subscription model where people were paying you and then you were free from the shackles of clickbait. Yeah. I would, I would say, yeah, you need to be fr- free from the, the sports and media legacy media companies, uh, you know, to, to some extent, I mean, this is the way I'd like it to be anyways, is they'd be totally independent on some sort of subscription model, getting paid, who knows, Patreon, voluntary, voluntary, I don't know, whatever. And, um, and then, yeah, they don't have to play the game. You can, yeah. I don't like, I, honestly, a TMZ model was that bad. Like, if you know some tip, you call him. He'll give you a hundred bucks. Yeah, just be known as that guy getting yeah. tips, and you'll get people knocking on your DMs. Yeah, it probably is probably ninety percent of them fake, but right. And that—that that was part of being a journalist. 
there is a I, I see these crop up a few times you know there's either people within the fantasy space and they'll be like you know my source or even uh our buddy crack rock who we've drafted fantasy teams with you know he's hanging out in the hamptons and you know had with you know robert Kraft and overheard something over there and like sometimes they have like this game of telephone vibe to them where like maybe there was a nugget of truth but by the time it gets to you it's complete bullshit yeah who who knows what they can what they can find out yeah um let's go to um some of the questions we got in the discord here i think Corey uh asked an interesting question and i know Corey also uh had been compiling kind of some data on ownership versus what it was projected and seeing if he could spot any trends but he says i'd love to hear more about the dfs review process if there's anything to look for in terms of field trends percentage of correlated lineups ownership discrepancies how people landed on the nuts that can be used for decision-making going into the next week. And uh, I think I was asking you a little bit about that as far as how much you're kind of adjusting your model to incorporate for maybe new meta dynamics in the game. How do you think about that as far as improving your process based on what's happened? Trends, uh, trends I'm probably not really like, I'm not really putting too much into it. You know, all this stuff to spend depends on specifics. Like what are you talking about specifically, but looking at what, what other players are doing, uh, I think it's a pretty sharp way to go about it. You know, picking the guys you think are sharp and then looking through and seeing how they're differing from you. And you, I mean, you could do, you could try to do that in like a scientific way too, actually. And just, compare what they're doing and week over week and then see how it compares to the field or compares to what you're doing. There's I, I'd recommend it. I mean, if you're, especially if you're not, you don't have some like bottom up process here. You were just guessing, you know, at a lot of, a lot of this stuff. So here, here's a thought experiment for you. Say, say after week three, let's just say for some reason there was this crazy thing that happened and every single uh, tournament players started doing automatic double stacks with a bring back and a secondary correlation from another game. Like this was just a hundred percent across tournaments. Would you be adjusting your model and Sims? Would those be adjusting it on their own to combat? Like, I think that's kind of like illustrating an extreme to a trend. How would you account for that? I talked about this and I did Osmo's, on the contrary, on Saturday, and talked about a situation like this that happened, I don't know, three years ago, maybe four years ago, four years ago at this point, it was Chipotle, Chipotle Attic won the Millie Maker, and he won like every site that week too, with a Chiefs double stack, double bring back. Um, Alex Smith uh, was the quarterback at the time, so whatever year that was. And immediately the next week or rest of the season, all you saw a whole bunch of double stacks with double bringbacks because, you know, the one of the Brito brothers did. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that 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 can happen. I don't know if it that you know four years ago people weren't as sharp as they are now. No. But it did actually kind of happen. And uh I mean I wasn't as sharp back then either. I started looking into it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, how how what am I doing wrong here? Why don't I have enough 
uh, quadruple stacks like Chipotle brothers. Um, so yeah, if that, if that actually happened, uh, eventually I could, I could figure out a way to take, take that into account. I probably wouldn't right away though. You would let the trend really kind of firm up and make sure it wasn't noisy. Yeah. So like stacks were known in 2016, but what percentage of the field was actually doing it? I don't remember. It was, it was pretty low. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, 80% of the field does stacks or something. I don't know what it is, but it's high. Yeah. And so, yeah, now you got, okay, now 80% of the field does it. So however you want to adjust for it, then adjust for it. I don't think I would, uh, if, if everyone just copied Chipotle next week, I don't think I'd, I'd be like, okay, let's, let's give it a couple weeks. Gotcha. Oh, I actually did mean to ask you about this from last week specifically because uh, Andrew here is talking about the um, the 4 p.m. and the pivot plays, and it was a huge late swap uh, slate. Did did you find yourself – you said you had a rough week. Were you behind enough where you were doing a ton of late swap? Were you already so contrarian with your 4 p.m. plays that you ended up just letting it ride, or, or how did that work out for you? Yeah, I had um, a ton of uh, Tampa Bay – and, uh, yeah, I had like a lot of, uh, 3 PM games anyways. So I didn't really, I like the first half I was like, yeah, whatever. I got most of my stuff coming at 3 PM, but, uh, it wasn't nearly enough. And I had no, I had one Henry, one Henry lineup. Yeah. I, and I had a lot of Cooper cup too. So were you, I, I take it you were way, way under on that chalk chargers Dallas game. Yeah. I was under on that game. Um, but I was over, no, I had, I did had a lot of, um, the chargers under on the Cowboys. So that didn't help. And I didn't have a ton of Kyler Murray. Uh, did I, I mean, I'm sorry, Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just, that just ended your, ended your week basically for taking down a large field GPP. So how did you end up on lots of chargers, but then not necessarily playing it like a, a shootout game stack kind of thing. That's just what it told me. So I, I, I'm, I don't know why not a ton of chargers, a decent amount though. Yeah. And so when yeah. you say that you had a lot of charger, not count, like I assume would you, did you have like non bring back a lot of lineups that was like a charger stack and then no Dallas on the other side kind of thing. Yeah. I, I don't know what the count was, but yeah, it was both. Yeah. I mean, I had a little bit of Cooper. I don't like, I mean, I, I've, I've said this over the years. Like, I think it's okay to be under on the chalk. Like, I don't think you have to completely fade it. Yeah. If you're very, if you're already like way under and you're building all this by hand, then I would probably fade it. Like if I'm building by hand, a guy's 30% owned and I have him in 2%, you might want to just like get rid of that and then try, try to gamble on a couple other guys. But mine, if my 150th lineup has Amari Cooper in it, uh, I'm just going to play it because that's probably the 150th best lineup with all these interactions taken into account. Yeah. And so our, I think I've asked you this before, but how, how much are you uh, utilizing late swap in your 150 set? Not frequently enough. Um, yeah. A lot of guys are doing that a lot more this year. It feels like with your setup, are you, like, are you rerunning a sim with as much results from the 1 p.m. as, you, as possible to look at that or no? No, with my, because I have a new setup this year, so it's not fully built out for that yet, but I'm, I plan on it. Yeah. That seems tricky too. It's just like, yeah. because 
there's there obviously the further along you get there's more of an information advantage then you want to give that information to the sim but then i'm sure it takes time to run then you still have to get the lineups uploaded then information might be changing like a lineup you thought was dust all of a sudden the guy goes off for a touchdown now that changes what the sim would spit out that seems like a tough moving target yeah it's it's almost not even worth it like i mean if you could do it fast enough you could do it like a couple like a few minutes right before lock could just roll with it and if the guy scores the guy scores whatever mm-hmm but um, most of the time in G- large field GPPs, we're talking large. That's mainly what I play, anyways. You're, I mean, you're if you get a if you get a bagel, you doesn't matter how, how many swaps you're making, you're not winning the fucking thing. Um, but you can get you can get some money back, so you should probably you should probably consider it. But um, yeah, yeah, it's or, just it's, it's it's a lot of work. It seems like a lot of work. Um, Corey asking kind of the age old question here of trying to understand if our process is right. Are we good? Are we a profitable player? How much do you get shook when you have a losing week to where you say, do I need to evaluate my process or do I need to trust it? Uh, I'm actually retiring. This is my (laughs) announcement. I, um, so I guess to be totally honest, uh, at a certain point, you know what I do at a certain point if I'm running really bad, I just play I just play less. Yep. Um and I'm always constantly like coming up with ideas and stuff like that anyways. So even if I run good, like I might I might have something new the next day. Even if I like win a GPP at baseball, I might have something new the next day and I just I just rolled it. So um and also I've been doing this for a long time, so I probably have more calluses built up than your average person. Um, but no, I don't. With that's why GTO like poker was such a good way to go about it too. Um, like in in DFS, I feel the way I the way I like to do it instead of like all this narrative stuff and like. Downloading all the pods and then trying to figure it out by hand. Um, when you have that process, it's like, like why do like why do I care? Like I know I'm just trying to figure out the GTO way and all the frequencies and 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 balancing my hand ranges in poker. That's all I'm trying to get good at. It makes it easier to, to handle the swings to some extent instead of like, oh my god, that guy bluffs me all the time. You know what I mean? Like I need to. I need to figure out he bluffs too much and now, so I'm going to call more often or something like that, you know? Yeah. I I feel like I, and I, I know I've talked about this on shows where, you know, last year, I think I made good strides where I felt, you know, more confident in my process to where I didn't like tilt, you know, I tilted in a, in a micro sense specific things, but like I didn't tilt my process or think, Oh, I need to start from scratch in the way that's how I used to think. Cause I was always chasing one thing. It was like, Oh, I need to have the really low owned one-off guy. And then the next week it was like, Oh no, but this is the good chalk. I do need to continue to play good chalk. And it was like, I was chasing that trend. Like you said, the, the Chipotle bro trend of like, that's what he did. Okay. I need to do that. And I think if, as long as you, can be confident in your process and you've hopefully shown some results. I think you can, you can stay anchored to that and trust that 
there is so much variance. And if your goal, like I know I'm going about these tournaments, I'm trying to get first place. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. In the spy, I don't play cash games. Uh, I'm trying to build first place lineups, and I know that I can build good lineups and still not even sniff a top 10 all year. Like, that's well within the range of outcomes and probably the most likely outcome. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's it's tough. I mean, I it, but doing it that way that you just described, like, I, can't you see that driving you mad? You know what I mean? Like, oh, what is going on? What's the trends here? I need this this one type of thing here. Uh, that's why I like doing it. One of the reasons I like doing it from the bottom up is, like, just let it all pick for me kind of thing. And then just roll with it. So, like, I don't care. Like, people are, like, trying to put specific lineups. Like, I'll just random and throw it in there. You know what I mean? Like, it, it all has a process. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, like, going insane here. But, like, it doesn't bother me that much if I put these ones into the 20 max and this other one into the slant. Even though, you know, they, let's say they're the same amount of players, opponents. Like, yeah. I don't I don't care. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, I would have won the slant, but I put it in the 20 right. max. Like, I've, you have no control over any of that stuff anyways. But I, I think a lot of this is just personality and experience too. Like it's, it's just not, some people just get, get wrapped up over it. I got some questions in my, uh, yeah, go for it. In my YouTube. Um, Fred says he saw Ron warming up 30 minutes before a lock. <laughs> Thanks for telling me now, Fred. Um, uh, Neil says, can you talk about how run the Sims can help make me a better DFS player? Is Neil, are, are you, uh, is your pseudonym, is this a pseudonym for Justin? <laughs> Justin's over here, uh, you know, uh, doing a, he's a paid actor. Clearly. I'm on the fence about it. I've tried other projections. Peter, you want to answer that one? Yeah. So what I've really been enjoying uh, for run the Sims is basically it's, the closest that I can do to get toward Brian's process as a hand builder, like I'm not smart enough to build my own Sims and Justin has built a Sim uh, that has a good track record. And what I was doing for the showdown slates and for the main slate is I'm pulling in aggregated ownership data from a few different sources and I'm comparing that to the Sim results. And I'm using that as just a very simple screener of being like, this is what the field has become confident in. And this is what the math is saying is showing up over the course of 10,000 Sims for this slate. And that was extremely helpful to me on Sunday because it brought ideas that I hadn't even considered. And one thing too is like, you can get really anchored to things throughout the week. And one thing that popped up, like I didn't think both of the Colts wide receivers were going to go. It sounded like Pittman and Paris Campbell weren't going to go. I hadn't even considered them. Uh, Paris Campbell ends up being a, a scratch and Michael Pittman's active. I rerun the sim and I see Michael Pittman as a top five guy that's popping with that new projection. And then I'm checking his ownership. The ownership isn't going to catch up in that 90 minutes in the way it would a running back. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, I already love Darrell Henderson 
as a play in my lineups. Now I have this mini correlation that the math is telling me checks out and the field's not going to catch up to. So that's just one simple way of how I'm using it as kind of a screener to give me ideas because I can't juggle everything in my head and I'm not going to use the sim to make all my lineups because I'm hand building, but it can point me in a really smart direction. Good answer. So one more and a follow-up to the one before Scott says, when you're running bad and you play less, how do you decide which contest to keep your action in? Um, I definitely, I play less of the, the like more expensive ones less overall. And then the first ones I'll start bringing back is the, you know, like the 500 buck or more expensive ones. So, I mean, I guess you could scale that to however you play. So if like 50, let's say 50 bucks is one of the more expensive ones to you, then scale that one back and scale your whole, your whole amount back till you think you figure something out. Um, I, uh, here's another question. Uh, from Campy here, should you swap across the board the minute you dud a spot in the early games? Why, why, why swap a guy who's low owned out and still in that lineup? But... Right, and th- this is what because I've been building my lineups pretty contrarian. Like I barely did any swaps in my personal lineups because I already had Tampa Bay instead of the Chargers game, so I didn't, I didn't have to. But I think to answer your question, if you'd built your lineup and you had cd lamb and austin eckler or whatever all the the chalk plays like yes if you get buried early like you do not want to go to battle against all the teams early who are way ahead of you and have those same guys yeah if you have three guys left and they're 25 30 and 20 percent owned yeah you might want to switch that up if you you got a dud in that early spot right and it like to, yeah Whatever. I mean, all this depends on field size, but if you're trying to catch up and at least min cash or something, you you could consider it. I just I feel like a little warning maybe is like if you got like three percent owned or five percent owned guys, like if you were confident in that lineup, like you don't have to switch, right? Where I mean, I, it's just like if you stack the Dallas game, that was the clear and obvious chalk, right? This week, this past week. Yeah, everyone was on that game. Everyone's on that game. Okay, that's a pretty clear and obvious swap off. If you have like a 7% owned guy and then like a 5% owned, 4% owned quarterback with like a 15% owned wide receiver, you know, it's like, I don't, it's not, I don't know, roll with it. If you, if what you're doing is good, like maybe you can min cash still. Well, and I, I don't know what, you know, exact kind of contests uh, this person is playing, but if you're only playing a couple lineups, one of the benefits of the hand builder versus, you know, Brian talking about having to rerun a sim on his 150 lineups is you can play out these scenarios ahead of time. You can say, if my early guys crush, I'm going to let it ride with my Amari and my Keenan. And if not, I know I like how this Arizona Vikings stack works. Like you don't have to just be like, Oh my God, now what do I do? What do I do? Like, you know, the, the various scenarios. I think the hard part is when it's almost a tweener, right? Where you don't know, like, am I ahead? Am I good to let it ride? Or should I continue to push it contrarian? I know how to answer that one. Yeah. (laughs) Random.org. Type in one for yes, two for no. Roll it, run it three times. Yeah. Not once, not twice, thrice. 
and uh, and then let let the DFS cats pick for you. In my in my uh, even easier way of doing that is when in doubt, just go contrarian because the payouts are so top heavy. And unless you're literally just like front running a tournament by 20 or 30 points and are protecting a lead, you yeah. probably need the contrarian points. It's just almost always yeah. the answer, I would guess. I, that, that, I'd be fine with that. I'm just like kind of like just like let's be a little – uh, let's be a little cautious here, guys. Like, if you got a four percent owned guy with an eight percent owned quarterback, and like the run back is seven percent, and you have a dud, you don't have you don't have to switch that. Like, if you got the Dallas stack, switch it. And then if you're somewhere in between, either do the contrarian thing or random.org. Like, I, but I doubt that matters like a ton, really, honestly. Like, yeah. And right, like it, if your guys, whatever, 15%, 10, 12% own or something. Well, and we were talking about this again. Another kind of advantage of the hand build too in playing contrarian is it, it's you get the information early. So if you eat chalk early, you're not actually getting that much new information, right? It's just like, well, me and the field are now moving on to our 6v6 in the 4 p.m. slate, where if you go contrarian early not only are you getting the information on what the chalk teams are doing but you're getting information on how your team is doing and then you can really make an informed decision and that's why i think this last slate set up so well to play the contrarian running backs early fade the Najee, fade who was yeah. in part and because that information is just compounded in that case that's exactly right yeah and if you if you're chalky early well your uh, the rest of your players should be if you're playing a large field GPP, it should be pretty contrarian anyways. So why would you fade, you know, switch off of them? And here's another thing too: is the beginning of the season, there's more, generally more afternoon games, right? We yeah. have like five or six the first day, and what four or five? Yes, last time, uh, they, it can be two sometimes, two or you know three of a decent amount, unless unless that's different uh, this year with you know I don't know or since COVID. But yeah, I mean, like if you got two games left, you're not. There's not a lot you could do, anyways. Yeah, on a full slate with all the ownership spread out. Let's see. There were a few other uh, questions that I think we got in the Discord. Do you have any others coming in on your chat, Brian? Let me look. No. Um, let's see. We have a question here from Conman. Another kind of review question here. Although I, I think this is just what we were just discussing. How can one improve their process of playing fading chalk when it comes to players like Cup and Najee last week or games like LAC Dallas? Should chalk be considered different in these situations? And I mean, uh, I'll let Brick go, but just to double down on what we were just saying, I think when the game starts is, is a very interesting consideration. I'm more willing to consider chalk late because I have more information about my lineup than I am to just blindly eat it early. And th this seems like a pre, uh, a pre lock question. Like, just how do you handle chalk, right? Yeah. Because uh, I'm not understanding the difference between cup and Najee and games. Maybe he's talking about like the game stacking versus individual chalk, and should there be a difference there? You know, because there's a difference between playing Prescott, uh, Prescott and Cooper versus just a lone cup. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess handling that stuff, I don't know. It's, uh, I think the easiest way to think about it, and same thing with correlations, is um, ownership hurts you. 
that's the more ownership, the more it hurts you. Like you want 0% ownership, right? Now there'd be a reason the guy's 0% owned because he's probably not playing or he's trash, but you would love to have the best play and no ownership. I know that sounds obvious, but if you, you know, extrapolate that logically, it's like, okay, any amount of ownership hurts. It's just a little bit, right? So you want it to hurt a little bit less and correlation helps any amount of correlation helps. So in a world of, of 100% parity, where like every play was the same, you would just jam all the correlation you could and not think about anything else besides ownership, but leaving ownership aside. Because every little bit of correlation helps you. The reason you don't do that is because of ownership and because every bit of ownership hurts you. And um, the salaries and fantasy point projections are different. So because it's not 100% parity, the combinations of non-correlated lineups might actually be better. So it's it's really just – because I don't know what to tell I, – I, this is kind of the, the our last show, or maybe it was two ago, where we were talking about rationalizing this stuff, is like – Use the game theory. Use it. Use it best you can, but like uh, you're 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 guessing, because unless you have some sort of process, you're just like, okay, I know wide receiver and quarterback is good. Okay, how good? So try to answer those questions. Yeah, that's all. That's all I can tell you. Without or, or just hand build and get and guess one of either one. Henry or uh, David, this is literally the opposite of what we're saying. Where we're we're saying the complete opposite <laughs> that it does not matter what kind of play is if if the field Brian if I told you this week Derrick Henry who looks awesome is going to be a hundred percent owned he would be unplayable in your lineups correct yeah yes and so now we're now now that we set that extreme we're trying to find that line okay he's going to be fifty percent owned that means fifty percent of the time he needs to be in the winning optimal lineup. For that to make sense, <laughs> I think he's trolling. You look is at his it, next one. Okay, it's hard to know because we we get we get some genuine questions. I generally take people in good faith here. That would be either he's st- this is his first week ever playing DFS and he somehow found this show, or he's been playing DFS for ten years and he just knows Henry's chalk every week to start just play him. Yeah, one or the other. But I think if I think if you're if you're actually having that conversation in good mm-hmm. faith, that's what that's what's interesting, right? At what point are yes. you sacrificing too many projected points to be unique? That's perfect. Yes. And then another thing I say too is okay. So take what Peter said. At what point? So we know a hundred's wrong, and we know zero's fantastic for Derek Henry, anyways. So at what point do we play him versus not play him versus it's a it's a go to random.org doesn't matter. And then um, your process should be sometimes you're over and sometimes you're under. And I know that sounds simple as well uh, compared to what I was saying earlier. But if you're always over on Derrick Henry, like David here, you're, you're, it's not, your process is, is almost certainly wrong. And if you're always under, your process is almost certainly wrong. Because I could see this, like I've talked to you know, a bunch of guys and like some, I've seen some guys uh, – process where they'll just have under 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 you know what i mean like i'm i'm mr contrarian and and like you know that that might be better than no strategy but like some weeks good good plays are good plays 
Yep. And so you need some process to tell you that, that to answer that question that Pete was asking, we know hundreds bad and zeros, zeros good. At what point do we go over under? And then your process should be sometimes over, sometimes over under, it might be 75% one way, 25% the other way, but it shouldn't be a hundred every week. And I think, you know, I, a point I've been making recently as I think through this stuff and push to be even more contrarian is sometimes on a showdown slate when the sites haven't taken our suggestion to have an assistant to the regional captain and there's only so many possible combinations in some plays just stand out generally the quarterbacks as just incredible plays you can go to FanDuel where it's even more pronounced because there's less uh spots and, and less creativity and options there with it where you basically are having to sacrifice so many projected points just to be unique. Whereas on these main slates, when we're getting 13 games, I mean, often you're sacrificing like one projected point or even less in a ceiling projection to get a guy that's a fifth of the ownership. To me, it's not even close at that point. Yeah. If it's like less than a point that, I mean, that's the easiest way to do it. If they're the same, then whatever you have in your head, ownership, correlation, whatever you're thinking, that's your tiebreaker. Like it's easy. Half a point, eh, pretty damn, pretty damn close. Do it. A uh, point, a point's not nothing. And, you know. And, and generally, what I mean, wouldn't you agree too? Like, there's a few different things that go into why some players get more ownership than others. If we use the example of like perfectly efficient ownership based on the projections. And obviously some of that is math based. Like certain players are just going to pop in optimals way more than others. CEH, even though everyone's doubt out of like at 4,800 this week, he's going to show up in a lot of optimals. Like he's going to mm -hmm. catch some ownership, but a lot of it is just narrative driven. And it's like, who are the plays that the touts can tell better stories around than others. And it's a lot easier to build up a convincing case for Austin Eckler coming off of whatever, a nine target game than it is for Jonathan Taylor who got stuffed at the goal line three times. And yet you look at their ceiling projection this week and it's going to be pretty similar. Uh, and so then it's just like, okay, now you're paying a premium in ownership because it, one has a better narrative than the other. Uh, Seattle, this I bet will be one with uh, Lockett and Metcalf and their opposite starts here. Yeah, and then the the narrative, you know, either one goes off, right? Isn't that one that that's been played? And you could and you could even see it in the props too. Like they'll the props will go up and down based on that kind of like recent bias. But yeah, na the the narratives matter too. Like that'll change ownership. Um, if it's, I mean, I would just, if it's close, go with the game theory. If it's not close, like then you, you want to consider just taking the best place, I guess is like the simplest way to, to determine it. And I mean, I don't know what, what do you, I mean, like, what are you supposed to do with that? Like the, the narratives and stuff? Like, what do you, what do you think? Like, yeah, I mean, to me, it, it goes back to that whole concept of, people want to feel comfort when they look at their lineup. They want their lineup to make them feel good. Like they're making good decisions. One thing that really helps is if the field or big touts are giving their rubber stamp of approval on that play. It's like, I'm not doing anything crazy. Everyone agrees. Cooper cup is a great play this week, but then you get into the question. What is your goals? Is your goal to get paid off when you are right? 
because if that's your goal, then the entire field or half the field is getting the same similar payoff and you guys are just moving on to the next eight spots in your lineup. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. I, I had a decent amount of Cooper cup, but that is a lot of lineups, especially in football that you're going to pass up. If that guy has a dud, that's another thing just to consider uh, for people who don't play a lot of people who either way, if you play a lot of sports and DFS or just, NFL is the field sizes are way bigger unless you're like going through and picking out like a hundred man every week on purpose or something. If you're playing the main guaranteed ones, uh, they're, they're like, I don't know, 10 times bigger than baseball or I don't know. Baseball's tonight was, was 15,000 opponents. That's like, that's like nothing, right? Like I can, I guess I can go look right now. Um, but like, I'm assuming so yeah, so for Sunday, the three dollar has six hundred ninety three thousand opponents, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, you know the, the the millionaire of course has two two hundred sixty five thousand opponents. The slant this is like one of the most popular, you know, uh, uh, solid payout structures, fifty two thousand opponents. So you're what four times bigger than baseball. So like if you win baseball once every three months or something, you know, now, and, and, and you get to play every day in baseball, you know, you're, that means you're going to win football slant every decade. <laughs> I don't know. Like yeah. somebody can do the math there. Isn't that hard? But like, it's it right. It's, it's way more opponents and way less uh, opportunities to play. Yeah. Um, so you're going to look like a fool. You're going to look like a fool quite off frequently and it's football and we're all gambling 10 times as much as we do in the other sports. So you're risking a lot more in a more uncertain environment versus a lot more opponents. So what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. Just pray and get lucky. Yeah. And some of these, I mean, we're talking pretty macro uh, with this stuff as far as kind of game theory tournament stuff. But as Matt says here, I started doing slightly better than terrible when I started looking for smaller contests. And that, that could be like your play is not even changing, but right. your odds are li literally getting better by in, being in a smaller field. Yeah, like let's say you're even, there's no rake. In a hundred man, you have one in a hundred chance taking first. And in the three dollar, you have one in six hundred and ninety-nine thousand chance of taking first. Yeah. Which what is the what is the lottery? It's better than that, isn't it? <laughs> Probably is, at least for some kind of payout, yeah. Um this is this is an interesting point, and I, I certainly get what he's saying here. Certainty and projections matters too. Um he's basically making the 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 case that it's easier to project quarterbacks and then the second easiest is running backs. And then third is wide receivers. As far as volatility. My only thing is I don't find myself just because it's easier to project quarterbacks wanting to eat the chalk there. If anything, the, the band of performance for the entire lot of quarterbacks is more condensed than the other positions where it's harder for someone to suit really separate from the field in a way that Devonte Adams can for wide receivers or Christian McCaffrey can for running backs but how do you do you factor in positional variance at all with your how contrarian you're being yeah it's baked in there and i mean i i don't know this is kind of that seems kind of backwards to me like fading qbs is the is the original fade that people didn't know remember back in the day quarterbacks would be 35 percent owned 45 percent owned and then eventually everyone realized oh shit quarterbacks don't matter that much and they started dropping in ownership 
And so once the ownership gets to an optimal level um, compared to their, their salary and their points projection, this is my opinion. You know, uh, Ricky, Ricky D disagrees with me uh, on Twitter. Uh, um, but I've, I don't know, I had a tweet thread on a couple of them on this where we don't want the salaries to be perfect. We don't want DraftKings to have perfect salaries because then nothing matters. Like you could pick either side. It doesn't matter if it's perfect. So, like, if once ownership gets optimal, like, like quarterbacks are getting closer to it, like, then it doesn't matter what side you pick because you're gonna you you have no edge there because it's at the perfect amount that it should be played. Which is um, what we've talked about with sports betting, right? Where if you can find uh, what what do we call that? The the hold is is equal vig? like if you, the vig, yeah. Where it's like offered one ten on on both two different sites. And then you, because of that, you can basically flip a coin because the market has decided, right? As opposed to if it's just one site where it's you know minus one thirty or whatever, you're you're uh, you're betting into a, a a bigger vig, right? Yeah. So if you're if you're if your implied hold is zero percent, uh, then you can go on your gut or some inside information or whatever because you're flipping a coin and maybe you're right. Like you you know you might not you might not lose, but. Yeah, in in in, in DFS, I, I I guess it's the same the same thing. It doesn't really matter what side you pick there, and if you have a have a what now you can make you can build structure, and like yeah, so the ownership doesn't matter. But I'm 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 correlating, and other people aren't correlating, so I can get an edge that way. I'm not saying ownership's efficient; it's obviously not right, and uh, but it's getting better, and like in people's projected ownership isn't that inaccurate too, right? So. I'm just saying if it were somehow perfect, it wouldn't matter what side you picked. If you're just looking at positional ownership and deciding fade or not fade. It's, we, um, we made- but you guys talk about the best ball bros talk about structure a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I think that is dead on and more so in best ball, but uh, you know, obviously in every other sport because best ball, like, you're not projecting whether um, who's who's starting uh, this week with like a with a, a running back that just got traded. Uh, I mean, tra- you could probably use like the Chubb, 49ers. Nick Chubb with it, Nick Chubb, and then and then they just traded uh, Cream Hunt. No, no, maybe that didn't happen. But anyways, let's no, just say that's, that did. That's a- I actually, now it was some fake tweet. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, but let's just say tweet. let's just say a backup got traded. Now you got a clear and obvious value play. It doesn't work like that in best ball a ton because it's ADP and it's a full season. It's not one game. So like my point being is in like best ball, it's so random, right? And it's, and there's, and it's not like uh, you can't get as specific each week that you should just be doing it all based on structure. Like within reason, obviously, like you don't take, you know, a hundred round early guy or something like that, or a hundred, hundred spot. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it it, it matters in, in DFS too, but definitely matters in in best ball. Right, because like, I mean, I think what you're saying is, if ownership were perfectly efficient, like you can't everyone. There's no way to get an edge in that. It's it's when you're exploiting market inefficiencies and that's why we use the example of 
two guys have the exact same projection and one is more popular, say for narrative reasons, has higher ownership, that is an inefficiency because if the ownership was efficient, they would be the same. They would be owned the same amount and then there would be no way to exploit it. You could flip, flip a coin and play whichever one you want and then you just move on to the next way to get your edge is what you're kind of saying with the correlation. Let's like, if you were looking at it in like a SIM, like a run the SIM thing, but just one position, one position, and there's a 32% chance the guy is going to win and he's 32% owned. And then the next guy is, you know, 18% chance he's going to win and he's 18% chance he's owned. Right. Or forget about players. Just think of probability, like differently weighted coins or something like that. Right. That are going to hit at 35% of the time. Well, then it doesn't matter if you go over or under on it. If right. we're just looking at one specific position, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do. You're just, you're just flipping coins and paying the big. Yep. Um, we did it guys. You, they've really gotten us, uh, talking DFS. I mean, normally we're, we're way more distracted. I guess we had a tangent about, uh, fantasy beat reporters and, uh, at the start, but then we, we really dialed it in, Brian. Yeah. Well, it doesn't look, we're getting, uh, some disappointment in our, in your, uh, comment section there. Oh yeah. What are they saying? Oh yeah. Here we go. It's Wednesday. There are no football games today. Disappointed in the lack of Illinois politics talk, uh, gents. Well, you were literally the one, uh, who asked us about <laughs> positional ownership a few minutes ago. So you were the one that sent us down this trajectory. Uh, if you guys, uh, are wanting to get your, uh, hands on run the Sims, you can sign up for a free account. Um, you can check out some of my shows, to get uh, a preview of the tools. And then you can use promo code Pete when you sign up. I do really think if you're playing any kind of meaningful volume, uh, both showdown and main slate, that it can really be the next best thing to being as smart as Brian and creating your own simulation. So if you have questions about it, you can ask me about it. I'd be happy to tell you more. And I think you can get a good idea from some of my screen shares on the tools there. Brian, anything else going on in your neck of the woods that you'd like to plug here? Um... Uh, I did have something I wanted to plug, and now I can't remember Uh-oh. what it was. But um, yeah, something with the app that your Discord. No, maybe I don't have anything to plug. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll just plug the regular stuff. So yeah, we got. Uh, I, yeah, hopefully, I should have uh, the props updated on my site for free. Brick75.com. If anyone wants to tail some prop bets and get get banned. Oh, I, um, I just thought of something to plug, Brian. I uh, I got hoodies up in uh, my store. I have a very clean uh, oh, white nice. hoodie here. Uh, if you guys are interested in staying comfy in a nice white Lulz hoodie here. I might so, have to take one of those up. Yeah, Weather I'll, just changed, man. Now all of a sudden it's rainy and cold. Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, you, we'll get you a Lulz hoodie here. Uh, I might need to find a way to customize a jersey number on the back of it, though, for you. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys, if you want to ever listen to this in audio format, we, of course, uh, get those episodes up uh, promptly on Wednesday evenings. Please subscribe to Brian and my channel. If you have not, we will see you guys next Wednesday. Good luck in week three.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.